I, I'm good. I, I am good. I am enjoying this whole new meeting everybody in this group, you, everybody. It is good. really eye-opening. Good, man. That's yeah. awesome. That's, yeah. what, that's what it's all about, right? I know. It's this collaboration, collaboration working with uh, people with like minds going, hey, man, let's work on this deal. Hey, let's work on this yeah. deal. Yeah, it's fun. I, it's one of the, I, I really believe it's why I like my job so much is because I get to hang out with cool people and learn new shit and, you know, just, you know, ultimately be growing every day and learning something new every day and learning new people and new ways to do shit and new, um, I don't know, just new angles on stuff. It's, it makes, it makes life fun for me. It, it, yeah, I, if you if you would have known this a long time ago, so like I'd probably worry, would be worth a hundred million dollars. Unbelievable! It's For just, sure. Yeah, the the value you bring to companies. I mean, I work in the OTC markets, and there's a lot of companies out there, tiny and just one million, and they have no idea. It's like, oh man, if I could just grow organically 10% per year, we're doing great. I know, no, I'm here to show you how to grow 100% per year. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, 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 you can change people's lives at a frequency that is so difficult for them to understand that it sounds like snake oil. It scares them. Yeah. Because I think it could be true. I pitched somebody um, that owned the OTC market doing about 500,000 a year. And I said, we're going to do this, 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 and this for you. And, but we're going to ask for this. And he got scared for asking for that. I said, wait a minute, I, I'm going to, within 12 months, I'm going to make your company worth $10 million with a three to $4 uh, share price. And he goes, oh, that's too much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, uh, so isn't this funny and ironic though? This, this blows people's minds when you actually put it in this perspective. So if you tell somebody you're going to make them, um, you're going to make them 16% over a year, they're like, I don't know, man, that sounds, that sounds crazy. Surely you couldn't go to 30%. Like, even though those deals are out there, it sounds too good to be true. But did you know that that's inception marketing from credit card companies? Yeah. Right. We've been told over and over and over again that making 30% is mind boggling, too good to be true. Don't, expect it. Don't ever expect it. But people with no money have been told, save your credit card for big purchases, right? Appliances, right? Single mom, two kids, refrigerator goes out 1500 bucks. She doesn't have 1500 bucks, but she's been told it's okay put that 1500 bucks on your credit card and pay it off over six months. Right. Yeah. But the 29.99% never comes into the equation there. Right? Until three years later, you paid, uh, you know, $10,000 for a $700 refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that is, that is a, that's one of those things like taxes, right? We've all been told, I didn't learn about taxes until I actually had money. And the reason being is because I've always been told, pay your taxes or you go to jail. When really what they should be telling you is pay the taxes that you were supposed to pay no more. And you'll be just fine. Right. At the but latest, don't pay early at the latest point possible. At the latest point possible. And the crazy thing is like, when I actually got money, then I started learning about all these write-offs and all these other things that, no, I, I'm not supposed to pay tax. The IRS is the only entity in the world that you, you get something and then you determine how much you pay for it. 
right? When's the last time you walked into the store, you filled up your cart full of shit, you go to the front and they say, how much do you think you ought to pay for that? And then if you say, well, I wait a minute, they had those stores in Seattle, but they go out of business real fast. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Cause if you say, I think it's this much. And then they say, okay, yeah, I'll take that. Because you said it was worth $150 when really it was only worth $100, but they took the full 50 and they let you walk out the door and they don't say anything to you. But if you say it's 100, 150, but it turns out to be 200, now they arrest you and they find the shit out of you for the extra 50 bucks. Yeah. Right? Which is exactly what the IRS is. You guess and tell us how much. If you're wrong, there's a penalty. But if you're if you pay too much, we're not going to give you anything back. And it's also it's it's an interesting organization because it's politically malleable, meaning I could correct if I get powerful enough and get enough big enough group and say, hey, this is for the good of the people, I can get tax incentives or tax correct deductions or something. Correct. Yeah. And and you can also, you know, you can also say like, well, Amazon does does that, right? Where they pay very little because yeah, they haven't paid any taxes. Right. Right. And and they're, I mean, they do pay payroll taxes, but they don't pay, you know, all the, the profit taxes, right? And, right? and they can leverage a lot of government contracts, right? You and I couldn't be on this call right now without Amazon. Yeah. Right. Amazon Web Services is, you know making this and phone calls happen and all that people are being affected by Amazon in ways they don't even understand. And then they wonder why Amazon doesn't have to pay anything. Well, it's because they are putting their money toward infrastructure, which is helping everybody else out, which is exactly the same thing that taxes are supposed to do because you don't know where your tax dollars go, but we all agree that paying taxes is for the good of the people and it pays for things like roads and education and, all those other things, but we don't know exactly what dollar goes where. Okay, fine, fair enough. But it is on me and it is my responsibility to know which taxes that I owe. And then from there, like truly pay what I owe, not more. And the the rules of what you don't have to pay for take up like 80% of the tax code, 85% of the tax code. Just nobody reads that fucking 85%. Nobody does. So you're the right? That's the who and the how, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. But people with money do. People with money, well, that's actually a lot. People with money pay the guy who will read that 85%. Right, right, right. That's the Jim Do guys. That's a <laughs> right. Fisher. happy to pay those guys. For sure. Let me just, let me introduce you. Hey, this is John Stoddard with the Top M&A Entrepreneurs Podcast. It's my second guest, Patch Baker. You, everybody knows him. If you're an epic, everybody knows him. He's uh, no bullshit, no punches, nothing. He's going to tell you exactly like it is. And that's why we enjoy doing this course. So welcome, Patch Baker. Thank you, brother. Appreciate yeah. being here. So I want to talk about something here and why you are an instructor, because you said this yesterday, and I don't think a lot of people know this. So you said you have 44 companies. Yeah. 100, you made 100 acquisitions, but you started acquiring companies before the Epic course, right? Well, I went to Legs first. You went to Legs, okay. So Leg, uh, Epic is like the, the three point of Legs, yeah. So, all right. So, a hundred acquisitions since you've learned this epic type. At least, yeah. yeah at least, yeah. Um, and you've uh, sold almost five, and you're in a process of selling one right now, right? One of your. Well, no. So I've sold a lot more than that. So uh, I've built from scratch and sold five. I have done a lot of acquisitions and resold those. So the, the, I've, I've probably done, you know, I don't know. I've done a lot, man. I'm, uh, over, I know it's over a hundred. I don't know the last time that I actually counted them all out. Um, but uh, it's been, it's been fun, man. Uh, I've got three companies now that I built from scratch that I'll eventually exit from um, the company that I'm, that I was talking about yesterday that I'm uh, moving off of. I got into, 18 months ago. And now we're, you know, we've 10 X it and we're moving off of it 
Uh, it was supposed to be a three-year plan, but we did it faster. So um, that is my that that's my jam. I love I love acquiring companies. I love um, the the uh, I love scaling them, and I like moving off of them. Um, yeah, you had a lot of you have a lot of the pieces of puzzles in place because you could do from yeah. from your Mobius, you can do the build uh, buy and build or the early. Yeah. Is that most of the mix of your businesses or do you buy and kind of let them run themselves like a tiny so, capital or Berkshire or something like that? Yeah. So the, the, the funny thing is I kind of run this weird model between the Berkshire Hathaway model and the Virgin Mobile model. And yeah, yeah. You know, I know you've heard me say this, but I'll, I'll say it for your audience because um, I, I think it's I think it's a really cool place to be. This hybrid is uh, beneficial in a, in a lot of ways. Um, just not a, a lot of people take advantage of it because they just don't know how and they haven't really put the pieces together. But this is where everybody kind of morphs to. It's one or the other. So yeah. the, the Berkshire Hathaway model is um, you, I'm going to sneeze. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't get it to stop. Go ahead, man. Go um, ahead. Uh, so the Berkshire Hathaway model is basically, you take good companies and you try to make them great. And that's where you get like the Coca-Colas and the Geico's and all that kind of stuff. But even on that model, he knows that he's going to make 10 massive acquisitions. And that is either going to be, you know, through a portion of a purchase or it's going to be through fully acquiring the entire business. Yeah. And, but he also knows that of those 10, one or two are going to do really well. One or two are going to do okay. One or two are going to break even and the rest are going to be failures. But the cool thing is it doesn't matter because the ones that do really well and do okay far outpace the losses that he's going to take. And it's kind of like running the numbers, right? Now there's another scenario, which is the virgin model. And the Virgin model is to create an ecosystem. And uh, he, you know, uh, Richard Branson knew that if he could get people down to the Virgin Islands, that he was going to make a lot of money because he already owned the restaurants, the hotels, you know, every, every place that people were going to frequent. He was going to make a lot of money off of that. Well, how, how do you get people to participate in that at mass scale? And so what he started doing was building an ecosystem. And inside that ecosystem, you have, you know, how do you get people down there? Well, you buy a failing airline company, you call it Virgin Airlines, and you do $69 flights down. Well, that's that's a single way, but that's not a whole ecosystem. That's just one thing. So how do you build on that? Well, you buy a failing travel agency and you you incentivize all of the agents to talk about the Virgin Islands and how do you get people to stay longer because the cell phone and internet are terrible. So people can't communicate with the outside world. So they only come and stay for two or three days instead of staying for a week. Well, you buy a failing telecom company and you call it Virgin Mobile and you put in the best Wi-Fi and the best phone and you make Wi-Fi available everywhere. And now People can call back home and they can run their businesses and they can talk to people at home and they'll stay for a week or 10 days. And, um, you know, how do you, uh, this is another really cool one, which I do a lot. Um, How do you reduce the cost to operate the airline, the travel agency, the hotels, the restaurants? Well, you reduce the printed material cost by buying a failing print company and now you get free or at cost menus and posters and travel brochures because you're printing it through a company that you own and that's one of the things that I do is if I'm going to spend more than a hundred thousand dollars that's the arbitrary um, number that I put on it if I'm going to spend a hundred thousand dollars in fees to a third party to provide a service I'm going to really dive in and see if that's something that I could acquire 
so that now it's not $100,000 in cost, it's $100,000 investment into a company that I can then own, run every other company at the cost to provide, but also try to build that company in a way that it has its own customers that pay the overhead, much like the, the print company, right? The, the print company for Virgin, they have their own customers that takes care of the overhead and the employees and the machines and all that. But then at cost, he's getting, you know, brochures and menus and all that kind of stuff. So to show you how I do that in my company is, um, let's say, um, let's say every single one of my companies needs to have a website. So I acquire a company that builds websites. They have their own customers that pay for all the overhead. But anytime I want a website for a new company I'm launching, that company does everything at cost. I don't, I mean, I basically get them for free. Yeah. That, this is really insightful because we have a lot of people in uh, Epic that don't know where to head first. Yeah. And if this is the model, this is the build and uh, buy and build model, like just get every book you can about Virgin Airlines and Richard Branson and what he did there. And then take your, uh, whatever is in your circle of influence and your expertise and start there. This is, that's really insightful. I mean, that's perfect. The most insightful part of that is not what I've already said, but what I'm about to say. And that is understanding how to service an entire audience over and over and over again. And that's what he did, but he did it so well that nobody realized that it happened to them or for them. However you look at that. Right. Yeah. And that is, so when I first started in marketing, I kind of went to the veteran community first only because I failed miserably talking to civilians when I first got out. <laughs> I spent more than half my life uh, in the Marine Corps and uh, I grew up in a, in a military family and I went to military academy when I was 13. And I mean, that was my whole life. That's the core of who I am. It's in the fibers of my DNA. I can't, you know, I can't get it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I went to the civilian community, they didn't understand me and I didn't understand them. And, you know, my world as I knew it went to shit very quickly, you know. And so the thing that I knew was every veteran will allow another veteran, you know, five minute phone call. <laughs> and it didn't matter I, how I, I, I immediately connect. If anybody reaches out to me as a veteran, I connect with them on LinkedIn. Immediately, right? I don't even have to look at it. It says veteran. I don't care what branch. Exactly. So that's what I did. I went to the veteran community first and said, Hey, you know, uh, I'm doing, you know, I provide these marketing services and um, they would at least give me the phone call. And I, I started very quickly uh, in that, in that world. Um, and then I moved through that world very, very quickly um, because we did good work and people would, you know, veterans would introduce veterans to another veteran. And that worked really well for me to get my, my feet under me. But what I started understanding from that was if I could wield the audience of all of those veteran-owned companies, then I could start creating products that were veteran-owned and start hitting the audience with one, after, one offer after another, one company after another, because I held the audience. And that's what... Uh, what the Virgin companies did. They would take information that they gained through one part of the company and serve them something else, right? So Virgin Airlines, for example, they were running a lot of, of uh, Southeast uh, routes, but everybody that signed on to the Virgin family got Virgin Islands you know, stuff sent to them and print stuff sent to them and mobile stuff sent to them. And, and he wielded the audience so well in a way that nobody felt like, why did I get this email or why did I get this postcard? Nobody felt like that. They understood that because they took Virgin Airlines that they got, you know, a brochure from Virgin Airlines that also talked about Virgin Mobile and that, that, 
the way that he built that ecosystem to be able to talk to them about any of the virgin products became so ingrained in the recipient and the end user that it was okay for him to do it. And I'm not talking about him specifically. I'm just talking about the, the virgin family became no, the virgin it's family. It's a great model. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, I've read his book and it's fantastic. I mean, from records to phones, yeah. to airlines, to travel, yeah. to, uh, I mean, he, he's a deal maker too. If you, if you read the part of the book where he talks about, you know, I need five, seven, 47 Boeings and he goes to him and said, Hey, can I get these basically for free for some period of time to see if this model works? But the way that he got them to say yes was because they knew that he had a captive audience already. Already had an ecosystem. He already had yeah. it. And that power, it, I mean, basically what we're talking about there is leverage. He had leverage through his audience to get somebody else to do something to prove out a model. And that leverage is so important. And I do it now. I talk about, you know, how important a team and your network is but if you don't know how to leverage the network, it's of no use to you. I know tons of people that know very, uh, you know, famous and, and high value individuals. And they kind of pride themselves on never asking for anything. It's like well, going in a Facebook group that never makes any money. Like, exactly. Congratulations. You've got a hobby of collecting high net worth individuals in your, in your yeah. network. But what is more impressive is when not only are those people in your network, but you can consistently find them deals that are valuable to them, but also valuable to you. Yes. And being able to set the right leverage in the right place to talk to a high net worth individual and say, without headache, I'm going to bring, I'm going to manage this thing for you. It's highly valuable for you and your life goals. It will be highly valuable for me and it will be highly valuable to the community that we serve. They almost always check the box and say, yes. I, I, you know, yesterday you said this on the call and I said, somebody Epic member asked us, how do we do a deal with uh, patch? And I thought of it a little bit later, but uh, I, I got to swear what Deanna and do and uh, Bailey do to manage the time. He's like, I don't know how much time you have. Then you have four questions people are asking. And then they go, well, I got to try to fit this in. Anyway, somebody yeah. said, uh, how do we do a deal with Patch? And I thought, of, well, I know how to get a second deal with Patch. Yeah. Deliver the first one on a platter. Right. <laughs> a great that, deal. That I is had, cool. And what was, the, what was the first thing that I said to that person? Uh, I don't this remember, is not I don't a dig on anybody. But do you remember yeah. what I said? It's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen. And you know why it's not going to happen or why it's probably not going to happen? It's because the way that they presented the leverage, they had none. Right. Right. They had no leverage. But if they were able to say, you know, I've got a really good deal, I'm missing this piece, but I know that you, would like, this is your mission, right? Like yeah. if people do their homework, that's the problem. Nobody's willing to do the homework. I, you know, this as well as I do, I have a good connection with Roland. Yeah. I have, I have not asked Roland to do many things for me and he has not asked me to do many things for him. The reason that I have not done that and he has not done that is because we are searching for the right deal that is both good for him, good for me, and good for the audience that we serve. So there's not a rush to get there. It is looking for the right deal that fits all those boxes. And when we we when either one of us find that deal, the coolest thing is it would almost be selfish of us to not share that deal. If I have a deal and I know that Roland could benefit from it, it would be selfish of me not to share it. Yes. On the other hand, if I'm trying to force him into a deal that's not a good fit for him, he's going to say no, and the chances of me getting a second hit are fairly... It's a silver bullet, man. You have one. Well, you. I mean, 
in a lot of the cases they don't know say, you. Right. Yeah, yeah, I could present something to him and he goes, dude, I'd love to do this deal. This is a great deal. It's not the right time because I just acquired this other company and I'm I'm a money strapped right now. But if it's still available in 90 days, let me know. And that's not a no. And if that if if that doesn't work out, I still get a second shot because he knows it was a good deal. Yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna pre pre-structure those things. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my homework. That's one of the things that I do really well is I do homework on people to find the right person. Who's the person that not just has the money, because that's actually a, a secondary thought. Who's the person that would, that this goes directly in line with what they're trying to do as their life's mission? Um, I just had, um, I just had uh, Alan Weiss on Clubhouse the the guy that wrote um million dollar consulting and uh, back I got that book. I have that book. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a phenomenal guy. Probably one of the most well-respected consultants in in the world. Um probably also one of the highest paid, but the I had him on and um he said uh, he said the people that really have it figured out nail what everybody else is going to say is their legacy. Not what they believe their legacy is, but what is everybody else going to say about them? What I just said about Alan Weiss is going to be his legacy. I said he's probably one of the most well-respected consultants in the world. That's what he's driving to do, but it's not what he said about himself. It's what I said about him, right? Well, here's the craziest part about that. If you can understand that, and then I have this deal where we're putting in a youth center in, you know, a town that he would have some affinity to. And what we're going to do is try to teach kids how to be entrepreneurs. And one of the paths that they can take is being a consultant as their life's work. And I go to Alan and I say, Alan, listen, bro, I got this cool thing. We got the land paper. Checkbox. Check <laughs> and you are the guy that these kids can look up to and you have a legacy of 65 number one, you know, 65 books and a bunch of number one bestsellers. You're the guy. You're the guy that we need to have in there. And he goes, you know what? Like you said, he's checking all. He's like, I'm in. I'm in. He didn't say how much he's in for. He just said he's in. What most people are doing is trying to go figure out how to get one person that has a million dollars to give them a million dollars. Yeah. That is not getting somebody in. Yeah. Right. I approached Roland Frazier uh, six months ago um, and said, I have a deal with Facebook. They came to us and they want to beta test this whole brand new uh, paid um it's paid. It's a paid course generation uh, platform. And I said, look, I know you're launching Epic on ads. Would you be interested in taking this ride with me on the new Facebook course delivery system where people would actually pay through Facebook to deliver a live course? And he's like, I'm in. So what was your ask and involvement? You did all the technology. I did all the technical work. And you provided all the content. Yeah. Right. And then we took the ride together, which meant good, bad, or ugly. It's a beta course. We have no idea how this is going to work out. We're one of three people that are going to do this for all of Facebook. Huh. And what what did you give in Roland on that? I just, we just split the ad cost and we split the revenue generated from it. Okay. Right now, it could have been a losing proposition. It could have been a winning proposition. It didn't matter to either one of us. We're not talking about big dollars here. But the cool thing was, I wanted to participate in the Facebook beta program. He thought it was cool to participate in the Facebook beta program. Yeah. We split the money going into the program, and we split the money coming out of the program. He was providing the course content anyway, and we run Facebook ads anyway. So, it, like... It, for us, it didn't, it was no sweat off our back. And both of us get to say, we got to participate in the first ever 
Facebook online course platform. That was one that I brought to them because I thought it would be cool to bring my friend a, you know, a, a beta program yeah. that nobody else in the world got to do. Yeah, yeah, right? that's perfect. I mean, I, let me, you know let me, what he said? You know what? what he said? He didn't say how much this is going to cost. He didn't say, well, what are you going to do and what am I going to do? He didn't say anything. He was like, I'm in. And then we worked out the details of who was going to do what and how we did it. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. People are not doing their homework to find out who's going to be in. If you can get somebody to be like, I'm in. And then you're like, well, shit, how much is it going to cost? Yeah. So, so let me give you an example of this. This actually happened to me. So uh, I'm in, I do investor relations for companies, but we, we do more of like selling the stock, uh, you know, promoting the business and who the people charismatic character behind the business. And I have a healthcare company and they are OTC markets and they told me they're going to be uplisting soon. So I know what the multiple is for clinics, 400,000 customers, brick and mortar, face-to-face stuff. I know what the multiple, it's low. I was in the master resource on Epic and I saw Sabree Savin. He's a technical guy, he's a Stanford graduate, really technical, wicked smart. And he's got this solution. It's an AI platform, telehealth, telemed, uh, decentralized uh, blockchain healthcare. I said, I have a very good hunch that this company, my current client will want to buy it. We just got a term sheet for the business, bring it together because I knew they'd want it. it. It matches exactly what they want. It's going to raise their multiple uh, immediately to two digits instead of one. Investors love that. And the future is trending towards that direction. All of the check marks right there, what you're talking about in that ecosystem. Yeah. And again, when you pitch them, they, they should be, it, it's not about numbers. That's what even rookie, what's, <laughs> this is Here's what he said. Well, no, hold on. Uh, the CEO, he said, yes. Right. Shark Tank actually put people in the wrong mindset. I, I don't like the Shark Tank show. I like the premise behind it. I don't like the Shark Tank show. And this is the reason why I don't like the Shark Tank show. Basically, they boiled, boiled it down into just a transaction. And those are for VC companies. They're not for individual investors. And this is the reason why I say that. I believe more in people than I do in a product or service, right? Because a product or service, I can fine tune that, right? I can, I can maneuver that to meet the market and should, as a good entrepreneur, be constantly striving to do that over and over and over again. That's not like everybody, again, everybody picked up the word pivot in 2020 because of COVID. Where did you pivot? What are we pivoting to? How do we pivot? I've made this pivot. It's all bullshit because in the grand scheme of things, you should be pivoting nonstop as an entrepreneur to meet the market everywhere they are, right? You're just making slight adjustments. If you bring on a new revenue stream or get rid of an old one, that's part of the entrepreneurial growth. That's part of a business's growth. That's part of every major company that you have ever thought about has done that through time, right? We don't, we, there's a reason why we don't have an uh, Apple, you know, uh, iPhone one. Right. It's the reason why you, you we don't have flip phones anymore. Right. Every every company does that through time. That is not that is not just a covid thing. That is that's what we should always be doing. Right. Well, the idea of Shark Tank has put it in everybody's heads that we need to know the profit in a company and we need to know what the multiple is of the, you know, valuation and, you know, people learned EBITDA last year, which was kind of funny because then everybody started throwing around EBITDA, even though it's been around forever and ever, ever, but people learned this new word. The new one on the street is NFTs, right? Everybody's talking about NFTs now when they've been around for years, but nobody's known what they are. And just through marketing and through, you know, some, some nifty little, um, 
you know, quotes from this paper, or that paper, or this interview or that interview or Elon Musk's tweet or whatever. Now it's all the rage. But this is a normal thing. In a business acquisition, I am looking more at the people involved than I am about the business that I'm acquiring because I know when I go into acquire business, I'm going to have to make changes. That's the whole reason that I'm acquiring the business is to make changes and make it more profitable to grow it. I know I'm going to have to make changes. So if change is the value that I'm bringing because they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be partnering with me if I wasn't bringing change, change is a constant. So if that's the constant, I want to know that the people that I'm partnering with are the people that I want to be working with. I don't care how good the product or service is if I can't get along with the person that's at the helm. If the person yeah. at the helm won't learn, won't grow, won't you know adapt, then it doesn't matter how much I want to grow it. I'm never going to be able to because they're going to have me in the, the golden handcuffs. Yeah. Right? How many of these uh, acquisitions you've seen? I mean, without of a hundred, you've got to have to seen a number of, well, this guy's a jerk or a dick or she, I can't work with her. Or yeah. So I've had three, I've had three that didn't work out and we somehow had to part ways, Yeah. but three out of a hundred is not bad. No. When out no. of that hundred I've had, you know, multiple, uh, I've had several exits at extreme multiple, right? So I'm acquiring them when they're a million bucks and I'm selling them when they're, you know, they grow to 5 million bucks. And then I, yeah. So that, that's controlling interest. Are you taking 51% plus or on these? Uh, it depends. Or? I mean, yeah. I usually don't take less than 25% and I have taken up to 80%, but it, it typically depends on uh, like how much am I doing in it and how much my team am, am I devoting to it? If I got to, if I got to acquire a company and bring in my whole team and we're doing, you know, 80% of a digital product, well, I'm probably going to take 80% because all they got to do is be the show pony, show up, make the content. And then we do everything from there. Yeah. Whereas, and by the way, show pony is not a bad thing. That's what I do for my company. I mean, I'm literally here now being the show pony for my company. Um, but there's, yeah. there is, you know, other companies where I'm doing 51% because we are, you know, I'm a combat disabled veteran. So there's some, some incentives there for me to have at least 51% of a company. Yeah. Cause you, the contracts, the DOD stuff. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There, there's, there's definitely advantages there. Um, sometimes I'm 50, 50, if like, we're not going to go after any, um, you know, we don't need any outside funds for anything. Uh, you know, I'm, I do 50, 50 deals. It just kind of depends on, I try to look at it like this. I try to be fair and equitable to everybody. And I try to base it off of Alan Weiss's value-based fees, right? I'm trying to base it off of what are we bringing to the table? What are you bringing to the table? And how does that work out financially? When I bring my team, I have a lot of hard costs in that. And, um, you yeah, know, I want to make sure that we're covering that. Yeah, so you're great company that you have the Mobius. So you come in and say, if, if a company was just coming from the outside and I want to hire Mobius, what are we talking like 25,000 a month or something? Plus oh, that cost? More, more than that. More than that. 20, 50 to oh, K. Something sure. like that. Yeah. 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 So yeah. We're, not I mean, we're, about... we're definitely in the 150, 250,000 and up a month. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about large companies. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I have another company called done for you, done for you.com. And we do, we service a lot of those, you know, beginning stage, you know, startups and, and smaller companies, but that's just, that's another company that I have to serve the market wherever they are. And we, we try really hard to do that. And, you know, big companies, they don't want to, to work with companies that are running, you know, $1,500 clients. Like they, they don't, no. they, it, it's, it's like, would you, would you, would you pay? Just think about this. Would you pay a, uh, let's say, let's say you have a Ferrari. Would you take it to the guy down the street that you don't know where he has a two car garage and just kind of tinkers with shit on the weekend? That's an insult. Why? <laughs> 
<laughs> you would I'm, never do that. You're well, going to be paying, yeah. But why wouldn't you do it? Because you have a Ferrari yeah. and you give that Ferrari Ferrari treatment. Right. Right? Now, flip it around the other way. Would you pay... If you were a, if, if you had a uh, 1976 Volkswagen bug that you were really proud of, would you pay? And let's say it's not fancy. It's not like, it's, it's not a classic. I mean, it's a classic, but it's not been restored. It's just, you know, a little putter around vehicle. Would you take that to the Ferrari shop and pay for them to fix your 76 yeah. bug? I, I want to point out something here. I just gave the audience an in here. The first in is if you brought a company that paid patches monthly advertising or cost of marketing and you have a work in and then six months later, they're doing a great job and patch says, I want to work with you. That's one in right there. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, the point is, you wouldn't take a fledgling business and pay somebody that's so far out of the realm. I mean, you think about it, just to stick with the analogy, if you took that bug to a Ferrari shop, you're going to be paying $600 an hour for them to, you know, tinker with something that they don't, that they're not really set up to do. They're set up to work on precision engines and precision cars. They're, they're not well adapted to something that you're trying to piece together and, you know, just keep running for a little bit. Yeah. So like, there's ahead. different, there's different agencies built for different things done for you as an agency specifically to help startups and small business grow to be medium sized businesses. Then we pick up with Mobius and we take a medium sized business to a like full tilt leading industry business. That's what we do. So we have these two shops that are basically set up to, to service both parts of the market because they're very different. You don't even run ads the same way in those two uh, organizations. They are not, they are not even close to being the same. And, and people just, they're so oblivious to the different ways that you can market, especially these days with things changing so much. Most people are still running ads the way that they learned how to do them three years ago, five years ago. Yeah. They're still running the $1 million dollar product. Yeah. 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 And, and that's why you get this consistent, uh, you know, million dollar business in 18, 19, 20, 21. They're, they're just maintaining. And it's, you know, I say this all the time and people don't realize how true this is. Um, every month, and Facebook is like dog years, right? So if you're doing something the same way that you did it two years ago, that's not 24 months ago. That's like 47 years ago because the platform is changing so frequently and the, yeah. the add-ons that you can do between Shopify plugins and remarketing and, you know, even the way that you attach the Pixel Vice Google Tag Manager and how you feed information back and forth between the platforms, like all that stuff is dynamically changing so fast, the regular person can't keep up with it. Yeah. And a regular person does not understand all the pieces of the algorithm that you can use for Facebook when you have a substantial amount of money going in. So one of the things that we kind of implemented a couple of years ago that I thought was pretty, pretty brilliant, we, we've helped people um, really become millionaires uh, by doing this is we would set, let's just say they have a product for sale, right? And they say, you know, what are your projections for this month? And they say a hundred. hundred thousand okay, dollars or what? hundred thousand dollars or? I don't know. Let's say they want to sell a hundred products. Yeah. Right. So we, we put some, some goal out there. A hundred products is what we want to sell this month. So I, what I would do is I would say, okay, if we sell more than a hundred products, I want you to give a hundred percent of the profit. That's after all your costs and all your whatever, a hundred percent of the profit. I want you to put it back into your Facebook ads. And what we would do is we would sell 140. Now we have profit from 40 of those items. And now their ad spend has dramatically gone up 
over yeah. and it creates this snowball. And because it's creating a snowball, we're able to reach more of the cold audience, which is people that don't know your name, never seen your website, your YouTube page, never Googled you, you know, they don't know you from Adam. And as it started, you know, scaling, now all of a sudden they're spending $10,000 a month and then they're, then that moves to $10,000 a week. And next thing you know, you're $100,000 a month. And then next thing you know, you're at a million dollars a month. And it's all because we put, we would never let them, we would never let them bump their growth scale, right? We, we'd always say, okay, what are you going to say? You know, we, we started with 100, we sold 140. The next thing they want to do is they want to say, oh, well, 180 this month. No, 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 no. You're going back. What would you have said? And it would be like 120. Okay, if we sell over 120, you take anything above 120, all the profit, you put it back into ads, and we'd sell 300. And now you got the profit of 200 of these things. You got the profit that's all going into the ad spend. And by doing that, it, it bridged the gap. Where we were super successful was bridging the gap between marketing and business development. Because there's a lot of people out there that say they are great marketers, but they have no idea about how business works. They just know how to put an ad on Facebook and, and run some budget. Right. But true marketers understand both sides, the business aspect and the implementation of the technical skills to apply a marketing strategy to the business plan. And they understand the business at a level where they can throttle down ads as manufacturing needs to catch up, but not turn off ads so that you lose all the learning. Yeah, start and over. then how those things go in, in conjunction with each other is where true, not just growth, but, but a system emerges to where now it doesn't matter what vertical you're in. It doesn't matter. And people call them niches all the time, which I hate that term. Um, but the, they understand how they can move through these verticals and it doesn't matter whether they're doing, you know, they buy a water company or a roofing company or, a you know, a widget factory, or it doesn't matter at some point you become so good at adapting the system to every single vertical. It no longer matters. You can basically go anywhere and sell anything. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's yeah. amazing. I, you know, I owned an e-commerce company selling hearing aids and I did a bulk of my uh, sales through Google because it was more like a, you know, Search. Hey, get this hearing aids. And, uh, you know, it's like a, kind of like a plumber's business, you know, they, when yeah. they needed the hearing aid and it was a kind of a price-based business. And I, yeah, and it's a race to the bottom though. It was a race to the bottom. And yeah. when Google went from uh, desktop to uh, mobile, uh, mobile they moved, you know, it went from 12 to 13 ads to just four. Yeah. And my cost per click went from a uh, dollar to $4, right? Sure. Overnight. Yeah. I, I did not have the ability to buy anymore. So I had to move over to Facebook. Now this is all in the history and I don't really care. Just like, do you think I, I would have been able to take that, what you're talking about and take the hearing aids into the Facebook? Oh, yeah. it's a, this is, this is where true marketers come into play because we know, you know true marketers, and I am putting myself in that spot. Don't, don't be confused. I'm, I'm saying I believe that I am a very high-end marketer. And what I would have been doing right then is getting out all the negative keywords. The most powerful thing in Google is negative keywords, not paying for a click on somebody that's not going to purchase yeah. unless you're trying to build a legacy product, right? Like what is the most famous hearing aid ever? Starkey. I don't know. Yeah. What is it? Oh, no, no. Uh, uh, you got me stumped, but. Uh... No, what, what is the one that everybody know? People even refer to miracle it. Ear. Miracle ear. Miracle ear. People will say, I need a miracle ear. Even though they're saying they need a hearing aid, they're using their brand as that thing. Right. Why is that one the most, even though it's not the best product, why is it the most famous one ever done? 
just a great brand to you. Like the Bayer, I need a- on every TV yeah. commercial, every single, like every prominent back in the day before there was, you know, 700 channels on regular cable now. But back in the day, Miracle Ear was on, they were on during The Price is Right. They were on during Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, like all those, I mean, the most watched shows anywhere, they were right there. And what did they do? They always- 70 years old, yes. Exactly. And so they, they did incredible targeted audience collection. And it's why I said, I said this a couple of minutes ago, but um, I really hate the niching down idea because if they had niched down, they wouldn't be miracle here. If, if they, but they created a vertical and they created a vertical at such a level that middle aged kids would surprise their older parents with a miracle year. They were selling at a higher rate to people that couldn't even use their product, but were buying it as a gift for somebody that could. And here's it the was a, I, I got to tell you, it, it was a great time too, because there just wasn't a lot of competitors out there right. doing what they did. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the crazy thing is nobody knew, nobody knew, uh, to search for Miracle Ear before Miracle Ear became Miracle Ear. Yeah. But then people started searching for Miracle Ear and all the hearing aid people would go and compete for Miracle Ear's keyword to sell their own uh, hearing aid. And yep. again, uh, just to go back, it's the reason why I hate the idea of niching down. I don't like the way that people use it these days. It sounds really cool for rookie marketers and people that don't really understand marketing to say, you got to niche down. You got to get really niche down and do one thing. Do Well, this is the reason why it didn't work. It's an antiquated idea. Did it work? Sure. Do some of the core concepts of, you know, doing, having a core component, do they work? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But creating a vertical is far more profitable. And what you can use that vertical in many, many, many different ways, but they don't understand. It's all about the product instead of being a vertical, which is more about the audience. Because if Miracle Ear had also done, you know, they had also- uh, Let me go back to the, yeah, that's, your, that's the ecosystem of Richard Branson, which you're talking about again. Exactly. Yeah. And, and- I can I can prove this in several ways. So one is niching down is a concept that came out in the all the 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 great sales books and business books in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, early 90s, right? Before we had this thing called the freaking internet, right? And and people are still attaching it because they read it in a book that's a New York Times bestseller. It was written in the 70s. Yeah. Right? It's let me tell you somebody else that niched down. Blockbuster niched down, right? Where's Blockbuster? There's one left in the freaking world now. They had 9,000 stores. They were on every major corner in all of America. And they have one. sold out early. Good, one, at a great time. <laughs> one lone store in Bend, Oregon. And, and the crazy thing about Toys R Us niched down, right? Woolworths niched down, Leggett's niched down. Those things are no longer alive, but they were the pinnacle of business in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. The yeah. pinnacle, that's who everybody wanted to be. I mean, you think about it, if you could be a blockbuster in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, holy cow, you were just crushing life. They had people literally bidding like astronomical numbers to just be on a waiting list to become a blockbuster. Right. But that idea is so antiquated now because of the internet. Yeah. The internet changed everything. I can be all things to all people. I say this all the time, but it's, it's worth saying again, the, on the internet, I can be the world's best marketer for dentists. If I figure out how to get that flow to work, Here's the cool thing. I can do another one just like it and I can be the world's best 
marketer for chiropractors. And I could do it again for roofers and for plumbers and for massage therapists and for yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on and on. I could do it forever. But here's the greatest thing. Like I was saying, the negative keywords are more important than the actual keywords I pick is I can segment the audience in a way that I never could before. If I have a brick and mortar, you have no idea what people are going to say about you. But if I'm online, I can pick and choose who sees what ad and who doesn't. I can also make sure that if you saw my dentist ad, you will not see my chiropractor ad. You will not see my roofing ad. You will not see my plumber ad. So I can negate certain audiences and give only the message I want to give. Just like on Google, I can go and I get my negative keywords are more valuable than my positive keywords in many ways. For example, we used to do the marketing for Black Rifle Coffee Company. Love yeah, those they, guys over there. Love I, those guys. I, but, I love the, uh, Matt and Nevin. I love those guys. Man. They're course, hilarious. Yeah, they're, they're insanely good dudes. And yeah. they, they want to help their community, which is also incredible. Like they have super high val- values and morals, not just as a people, but as a company. But let, me tell, let me tell you a story. I don't know if you've seen it on the internet, but they worked with an interpreter, Waleed, and who helped them on their missions. And they brought him, they found out he made his way back to the United States. They brought him wherever he was and gave him a job. And he's now United States working at Black yeah. Rock. I mean, yeah, that's a freaking great story. Back to the point, and they do all kinds of stuff like that. Like these guests, their character is just above reproach. But the the thing was, when we first started ads on Google, we had people clicking on it that were looking for black rifles. We had people that were looking for black. Had, there is a company called Black Rifles. Rifle. Yeah. Right? Looking for, you know, uh, black rifle company, right? That was terrible for us. So what we had to do is systematically go down and start putting in all these negative keywords. Don't serve the ad to this person. Don't serve the ad to this person. And as we did that over time, what happened was the profit went up because we weren't bleeding money for people looking for a black rifle. And so it took a lot of time. But the cool thing was we got it refined in to where when people were looking for Black Rifle, the coffee company, we were always there and we were not there when people were looking for a Black Rifle. And that cost dramatic. I mean, they were not bleeding money, but they were spending a lot of money to figure out what we didn't want. And over time, as we increase those negative keywords, what was left over was a prime audience that everybody else was competing for against us, against Black Rifle, not Black Rifle competing against everybody else. And again, if you had those skills, which are really hard to acquire, and quite honestly, the reason why you can't acquire them the same way that a company like Mobius can is because Mobius has had so much experience built off of spending other people's money, right? There's, you're never going to be able to compete with the knowledge that somebody has when they're spending a million dollars a day on Facebook. You're never going to be able to learn at that pace the way that somebody else can spend in that amount of money. Like you think about this. Most of the time people, businesses die on the vine of Facebook because it's death by a million paper cuts, right? And the reason why that happens is because they're trying to nickel and dime. They're trying to put in, all right, I'm only going to do a hundred bucks this time and see if it works. I'm only going to do 200 bucks and see if it works. The problem is they're not putting enough people in to see how people go through the funnel to make data-driven decisions on that funnel. So, but the companies that can pump in $10,000 a day they're putting 10,000 people an hour on the page, which yeah. means now I can go in and I can make a data-driven decision to change this headline to get the thing I want. I can wait an hour and see if it worked. Yep, that worked. Then I go to the next piece and I go to the next piece. And you can't compete with that. The next best thing is take people that have the experience of running that kind of money and they can see the trends much, much faster. It's, it's a culmination 
of like art and science and math. And you have to have all of those things working in conjunction with each other in tandem with each other to be able to see the trends. And you kind of look at it like, it's almost like, uh, have you seen the movie matrix? It's like looking at the matrix, right? It, over time you learn just from spending that amount of money and seeing that amount of data, you learn how to spot it when other people can't. Um, and uh, again, it's like the next best thing to spend in, you know, boo goodles of money. Next best thing is to, to have people on your team that have spent that much money and have been able to learn at that frequency. And let me, let me bring up the point how th this concept is really important because what Roland talks about in Epic, like, like you've got to have a funnel of a hundred plus companies. So you get down to three and you're yeah. whittling out all the other stuff to get yeah. to those three. But if you're only bringing one or two at the top, you're never, it's just, it's never going to happen. Well, and I think, I, I think we, we are limited by one creativity and two, the reason that I get to say no to so many deals is because I have a choice, right? I have 97 more in the pipeline <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. So I have a choice, but when I only have two options, I'm instead of taking the best one, I'm taking the, the better of the two, right? You're I'm taking the least yourself. worst one. Yeah, and you're trying, and sometimes like you know, I see some other epic. They just keep forcing, like, "Hey, I've been working on this deal for three, four, five months," and it's, she said that, he she said that, but you just got to get more deals in your pipeline, right? Yeah, because that's the the reason why I believe people are trying to force them through is because the only it's the only one that they have, it's the only option they have, and they're yeah. trying to make something out of nothing. Whereas the best deals in most cases are the ones where the people are pitching me on why their business is good to be in my portfolio yeah. instead of me pitching them why I'd be a great partner to be in their business. And that's a, that's, that's a huge difference. That's a great difference. I mean, the, the, the funnel that Roland has created with this Epicork is amazing. It's just sure. brilliant. Yeah. For sure. And I mean, he turns down deals all the time. And here's the crazy part. Some people get really irritated that you turn down their deal and you have to be, you know, you got to have, have some tough skin and be like, look, let me tell you all the reasons that you have not landed a deal with me and they don't like hearing it, but it should be like a, a stark reminder of what we talked about originally, which is what are you doing for me? What are you doing for you? What are you doing to the, for the audience that we serve? And, and people get it mixed up. I, I, I did a training on this the other day. I'll share it with you because it's, it's super relevant. Um, the, the three things that you need to answer people when, when they're going to partner is besides the you know, the three that I originally said is what is it going to do for me? What is it going to do for you? What is it going to do for the people that we serve? The next three that you have to answer is what are you uniquely trying to do? Why are you the one to uniquely do it? And then what's in it for me if I take the ride with you? Those three things if you put those in your pitch, you almost always have a leg up to get that deal done. Yeah. Because if you can answer those three questions, you are going to have a very clear understanding of what you want them to do. And you're going to be able to present the idea without rambling and telling a bunch of backstory. We don't care about the backstories. The funny thing is in the very first five minutes we're determining whether we want to continue the conversation or not you know i think what you just said it's it just not just you i think it's anybody it's in epic if you're going to collaborate with somebody else in epic like answering those it's actually six i think but the last three but answering all those questions before i go collaborate with this guy for sure it, can i check the marks right there right for sure and and people just they they miss 
they miss the boat before they ever even get to the shoreline. And the reason why they do it is because they don't do their homework. Yeah. If I know for a fact that you're a veteran and you have a, a propensity to want to help veterans and I say, bro, I've got this software deal that I believe is going to make you some money. It's going to make me some money and it's going to help a boatload of veterans along the way. You enter out. You say, definitely interested in learning more. Okay. And then I go right down through that. All right. So I'm uniquely trying to get people to come into this system. That's the unique thing. I already have the team that can run everything for us. What I need from you is I need you to introduce it to more veterans. And the last part, what's in it for you, if you take the ride with me, is I believe that by the time we're done, we're going to help 700,000 veterans by 2022. And I believe that we're going to get you at least a 30 to 50% increase on the $100,000 that I'm asking from you. It's like three minutes worth of time. And the very next thing you're going to do is I'm in, what do we need to do? Right. You're going to start wanting to ask more questions and I'm going to start feeding you answers. But here's the best part about what I just did is now I've got you asking me questions instead of me rambling for the next hour and a half about shit that you don't care about. Yeah. This is back to what I said. Uh, how do you get the second deal with patch is deliver the first one on a flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey patch. We're, I mean, I've, I've had an hour of your time and I want to thank you for this. I want to appreciate yeah. that. So, ah, oh, man, this is, this is fantastic. I mean, you're, uh, you just killed it in the last couple of years with this uh, epic in your business. Fantastic. I congratulate you. And thanks for your service. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, I, I have tried really hard to be a, a student of Roland's and really a, a uh, not just a student, a student, but more like, I don't know, a, a patron of the, the guys that have done it before me and um, have done it well. And I, I try hard not to copy people. I try hard to learn the concepts and then adapt those to something that I can, you know, be consistent on and maintain. Um, and I, I hope everybody's, I hope even from just spending time with you and the people that watch this podcast, it's encouraging that, uh, you know, reciprocal learning that should happen. More people should learn from this and, and help more people in our community that are trying to do this. And hopefully F Epic members are watching this and they'll learn something here that they can pass on to somebody else. And I, I think that, you know, making those meaningful deposits in other people's lives uh, is what ultimately will somebody is going to introduce me to somebody that's going to change my life. And, you know, I think it's just one big circle, right? It's still that ecosystem that we were talking about before. The more we help each other, the more help we get. And yeah. just uh, just perpetual cycle of uh, growth and education. It's great. Yeah. Love it. It's lovely. It's just lovely. And that's a perfect ending too, man. Yeah, man. All right, I'm up. Well, I appreciate it, man, and um, happy to come back 